Hey, and welcome to Vineyard Church Carlos podcast. Today, we have our senior pastor, James Rankin, kicking off a brand new series called An Open Life, the next one in our Live Like Jesus discipleship series. We hope that you enjoy. Hi, James here. Great to be with you today. As we start a new series, you know how much I love a new series. And this one's called Live Like Jesus, An Open Life. And so we're going to be in this for the next four weeks. Now, this is part of our Live Like Jesus framework, because we want to be a community that takes discipleship to Jesus, both seriously, on the one hand, and joyfully. We've been in a series in Philippians over the last few weeks uh, called Joyful. And the book of Philippians just brings out this. How do we live in joy when maybe our circumstances aren't always great? And it's like, but actually, that's what the overflow is, this joy. And so as we're in this Live Like Jesus series, um, this is all around prioritising and orienting our lives around his call to come and follow him. Because as Jesus's disciples and apprentices, the truth is it's quite easy to get stuck in our discipleship to Jesus, to just stop growing. And we just want to make sure that that doesn't happen as a church, that we keep growing to look more and more like him. Now, the way that we do this is through two things is on the one hand, it's being with him and we're spending time with him. And it's like, I always describe it as two pedals on a bike where be with him and do what he did. Be with him doing what he did. And, you know, as we press into one, presses into the other. So these are practices and principles that we can put in place to help us um, keep growing in our discipleship to him. And so series that we've looked at over the last couple of years have been shaped by the word living a praying life we did that not long ago advancing the kingdom and pursuit of holiness and so this is our next one um live like jesus an open life so what do what do we see jesus doing in the gospels well in addition to teaching and healing the sick retreating to pray a lot what we see jesus doing in the Gospels is very, very normal. He surrounds himself with people. He meets people. He eats and drinks regularly. He parties with people. He does life in community, in relationships. He, he shares his life with others. And so what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus didn't live an insular, closed life. Instead, he lived an open life. And this is what we want to look at over the next few weeks. So, so what do I mean by an open life? I think open lives live beyond ourselves. They're bigger than us. When we, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about generosity, haven't we? And we've talked about this image of being open handed when, when it comes to generosity in order that the Lord can pour into our hands and also that we are open handed to give away what he gives us. And that's a posture of what I think generosity looks like. Well, the imagery of an open life would be like this. It's like an open life. It's like, welcome, come in. Coming out of the restrictions of the pandemic. And to some of you, like, oh, distant memory, pandemic, so far ago. But for others and for many, many people that I've met, it's actually been quite a slow return into the next stage. In fact, I'm, I met somebody a couple of weeks ago at church that was just talking me through. They were like, oh, do you know what? Life hasn't really got back to normal. Like, I haven't been able to get myself out and um, socialise and feel like I have community and belonging around me. And that has 
been so many people's experience. So you've got half of life that's just got on and it's like, well, this is way behind us. But I think we do need to remember that there are a whole load of people that their world has changed and that they're in the process of just trying to rebuild their lives as well. I want us to think about what does it mean as a follower of Jesus to live in a deeply expansive way, being open to the people that the Lord has placed around us, because this is what we see Jesus doing. People were drawn to Jesus. He was magnetic and Jesus gravitated towards people as well. He interrupted people's lives and he also allowed people to interrupt him. He spent time with people. He ate with people. He drank with people. He broke many, many social norms of the things that we would expect him to do. He goes into a situation. And he's like, well, no, 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 no. That's not how we're going to do things. He spent time with the Pharisees and the rabbis. But more often than not, he would have been found amongst the poor, the sick, the sinners, the social outcasts as well. Now, one of our values as a church is to be a grace filled community, that when people encounter our community and people in our community, that they would encounter a people of grace who've got their arms wide open. But at the same time, they are a community who are pursuing living like Jesus. A few years ago, we had this email quite a few years ago. We had this email sent into the church, but it gives a real insight of what I think we want that to look like for somebody coming into our community. It says, says this, hi, I found myself in your evening service tonight and it was the last place I expected to be. So it came as somewhat of a surprise. I just wanted to drop you a quick line and say thank you. Everyone was so welcoming. And in addition to the lovely smiling drink service who sorted me out with a cup of tea, four separate people made the effort to speak to me, asked me my name and genuinely showed an interest in me. They all asked me how I was and I took and took time to listen to me. I felt so welcome and so safe. I was invited to share what I wanted to about my story and my journey, but none of them pressed me and backed off when I seemed fragile. I shared some of my fears without any sense of judgment or condemnation at all and felt from each of them that they actually gave a rude word, but, and then the lady apologises for it. Honestly, I can't tell you how grateful I am to have walked in on your community tonight. It was the first time I dared to go to church in about five years and I came away much less traumatised than I was afraid I might. If you were a restaurant and I was a mystery customer, you would all be getting a staff night out and a special certificate to put on the wall. Unfortunately, you're not a restaurant and the church hasn't resorted to sending in mystery worshippers to get ratings yet as far as I'm aware. So hopefully the warm, fuzzy feelings that come from knowing you did well will be enough. Anyway, thank you. That's the kind of community that we want to be. That's the picture that I'm talking about, that when people come in, that there's this welcome, a community that cares, a community that loves well, that is full of grace. We want to be a grace-filled community with a wide open front door. And over the course of this series, we're going to be looking at encountering the stranger, loving your neighbour, being family and redefining family. And these are all aspects of the way that we engage and relate to people. They're aspects of living an open life. But today I want to start with what underpins all of these as we move forwards, our mindset, how we see people, how we love people. If we want to learn to live like Jesus, we need to learn to love like Jesus. We need to learn to see people as Jesus sees them. So that's my first point. We need to learn to see people as Jesus sees them. The, the slightly depressing reality is that Christians in our society are generally not known for being 
full of grace, grace filled. And if you talk to people who seem miles away from coming to God, many tend to admire Jesus. They're like, oh, I love what's in his life. I love some of his teachings, but they often can't stand his followers. And so Jesus still has an intriguing and mysteriously attractive pull on people. But Christians can seem to create this repelling force. And that really bothers me. I'm like that. That's not who I see my saviour to be. That is not what I read about Jesus. Yes, he had moments of confronting people as well. He wasn't always just just soft and and wet. That is not what we see in our saviour. He was strong. Jesus was strong. But at the same time, he had this beautiful welcome. Luckily, this issue of the perceived religious being barriers to others finding God is not only a problem in our time. You just need to rewind 2,000 years into the scriptures. In Jesus's day, people felt a magnetic attraction towards Jesus, but they were repelled and put off by the condemning religious leaders of the time called the Pharisees. In fact, Luke tells us all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. So to discredit him, the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees called Jesus a glutton, a drunk, a friend of sinners. They were like throwing things at him. It's like, he's this, he's this, he's this. Mainly because Jesus had this enormous impact on the people around him and they, they couldn't explain it. It didn't fit into their behaviour orientated view of a relationship with God. And maybe the reason people today are drawn to Jesus, but not necessarily to his followers, is because many Christians are not like Jesus in this regard. And that's ultimately and that and ultimately that's because we don't really see what Jesus sees in other people. We don't really see the way that he does. And without almost noticing it, we can become slightly pharisaical ourselves. We can end up judging people for their behaviour rather than seeing the person that's in front of us. So we don't want to be like that. (laughs) You know, let's not become the Pharisees. We want to grow to live and become more like Jesus while avoiding moving into that kind of mentality. And therefore, this is the mindset that we're after. And I love Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus because in it, we're given this beautiful insight of the welcome of Jesus. So let me just read it. This is Luke 19 verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy and he wanted to see who Jesus was but because he was short he couldn't see over the crowd so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. You can just imagine the tone in which they were speaking. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus sees Zacchaeus up in the tree as he's walking past. And he calls out, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house. I love that. Maybe that's something that we need to try a little bit more. As I, you know, maybe in church uh, today you could be like, um, 
well, actually, you're watching this online. You're not going to be into church today. You're watching online, but in, in your environments, it's like, hey, just wanted to tell you I'm coming over to yours. <laughs> I know we've not met, but I'll be at yours later. But in doing so, Jesus validated him. He said, I see you, Zacchaeus, and I want to spend time with you. You are on the outside looking in, but I want you to belong. You are worthy of my time and I want to know you. Can you imagine how massive that interaction was for Zacchaeus? What we see. So Jesus is having this beautiful interaction with Zacchaeus in the tree. I'm coming to your house. The religious leaders start muttering, the Pharisees, blah, 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 you know. All the people, verse seven, saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus, of all the people that you could have gone and hung out with, why him? He's not worth it. He's messed up. Do you know who he is? Pick me instead. I'm far more important. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. Zacchaeus, he cuts through all of the norms of the time. I'm coming to your house and I'm coming into your life. When we live a closed life, as opposed to an open life that we're talking about, we don't see the Zacchaeuses. We're so intent on our own agenda, our own comfort. We miss the God opportunities right in front of us. We miss the moments to invite somebody in to give the welcome of the kingdom. We miss the opportunity to place value and worth and dignity upon people. You know, there is a danger that we become like the Pharisees and it's a very, very subtle thing. I think most of us sit there and be like, no, I'm not like that. And it's like, really? Really, how well do you do that? Do you see with the eyes of Jesus? Do you see through the externals to the heart? And the truth is the only way that we can do that is that we ask to see with the eyes of Jesus. It's actually something active that has to happen. It's like, Lord, help me see with your eyes. Help me see the way that you see. Verse nine continues, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham for the son, son of man came to seek and save the lost. It reminds me of Luke five, verse 31. Jesus answers, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. In order to see with the eyes of Jesus, we first need to recognise the danger of becoming graceless and have a good, honest look at ourselves. Put ourselves before the Lord and be like, have I become hard? You know, throughout the scriptures, throughout the gospels, it said Jesus had compassion. You know, that's what we see. I just think Jesus looked at people and he saw who they could be rather than who they necessarily were. He's like, this is the gold that's in you. So we're going to try over this series to press into this seeing with the eyes of Jesus. So secondly, and this point comes from um, a book called Unshockable by John Burke, which I found really helpful. He's a really great author. Um, no Perfect People Allowed as well around this whole idea of how we interact as the community of God with people. And he talks about this analogy of do we see the mud or do we see the masterpiece? And he gives the analogy of Rembrandt's masterpiece, The Return of the Prodigal Son. 
And it depicts this moving scene in Jesus's parable where filled with compassion in Luke 15 verse 20, the father runs towards the wayward son. So the father's been waiting for the son to come home. He's been away. He's been with the, you know, he's reached that point. He's been partying and then he's reached the point. His life's fallen apart. He's been with the pigs. And he turns around and says, I've got to go back to the father. And so the father's been waiting day in, day out for the son to come home. And it's that moment where he runs towards the son. My son was dead, but now is alive, but was lost, but now he's found. And Jesus paints this beautiful, priceless picture in answer to the religious people's complaint that he welcomes sinners. Now, this painting is now worth a fortune. Now, just imagine again if one day you visit the museum where it's housed and there in a back alley, there's a little skip. And in it, you discover Rembrandt's masterpiece, but it's hardly recognisable. It's covered in mud and dirt, it's stained. The canvas has been torn. You wouldn't recognise it at all, except you notice the famous fat hand of the father on the ragged son's back. How would you treat the painting? Like rubbish, it's covered in mud and it's stained and torn. Is it worthless? Do Do you treat it like it's worthless? Or would you treat it like a nearly priceless masterpiece that needs to be handled with care and restored? I'm guessing all of us could see past the mud and even the damage to to recognise the immense value inherent in this beautiful piece of work simply because it was created by Rembrandt's own hand. And we, we wouldn't try and clean it out. We wouldn't take it out of the skip and be like, right, I've got to clean this thing up myself. We'd bring it to a master craftsman who would delicately restore it to its original condition. So if you take this imagery, so why do we struggle to treat people like the immensely valuable, one-of-a-kind masterpiece that God created with his own hand? As we look at the life and interactions of Jesus with very messed up people, let's be honest, it becomes evident that Jesus could see something worth dying for in all the people that he encountered. He could see past the mud to the masterpiece that God wanted to restore. So what do you see most when you encounter people whose lives are far away from Jesus? What do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see the mud or do you see the masterpiece that God wants to restore? Because what you focus on determines who you become and the impact that you have on the people around you. The Pharisees primarily focused on the mud of sin that covered the lives of those who were far from God. They prided themselves in mud avoidance. They fixated on mud. They tried to clean the mud of others with their own dirt. And it didn't work and it doesn't work now. Jesus was different. Jesus demonstrated a spiritual vision that he wants to impart to us, to see the masterpiece that he sees in us, to renovate us, to become people whose hearts reflect what God sees, even under the most sin-stained life. Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 7 says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Notice what this says. We're all spiritually dead. 
damaged, sin-stained, muddied paintings left in the skit. None of us brought ourselves back to life spiritually, nor can we clean ourselves up and restore ourselves to what God intended us to be without God's help. But by his grace, his undeserved favour and loving kindness offered freely, we can be restored. And notice the words describing God's heart, his great love for you, for me, for those that are utterly lost and broken and vulnerable. As we will see, love, kindness, mercy flowed liberally from Jesus's life. And if we're trying to live like Jesus and we're trying to love like Jesus, then that has to be our attitude as well. We have to see with the eyes of Jesus. Verse eight, for it is by grace that you have been saved. We need to never forget that it's by grace that we've been saved. That's how we offer grace is because we're like, he did it all through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. We cannot boast. He did it all for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word translated masterpiece or workmanship or handiwork is the Greek word poema from which we get the word poem. What Paul is saying is that we are a work of art, the work of a master artist. Do we realise? Do we realise that, that we have been made uniquely, that we are his work of art? By grace, you've been saved. God saves us. He restores us to right relationship. One of my favourite passages is this. So how do we grow in this? Seeing people as Jesus sees them. How do we grow in this? How do we mine for the gold? How do we not look at the mud, but at the masterpiece? How do we look beyond the external? Our vision as a church is to restore the city, to renew the nation, to bring to life the parts and the people that have been dead and broken and restore them back to fullness through the love of Jesus. But we must become more like Jesus than like the Pharisees. And that that starts with having the right attitude, the right perspective, the right lenses in our spiritual spectacles. Jesus must have pictured what he created people to be and that vision affected how he felt about them and I'm sure that the people that Jesus encountered would have felt I'm sure that Zacchaeus would have encountered that he was like wow I've never met you Jesus but yet you've called me out you want to come around you want to spend time with me you think I'm worthwhile you think you think I'm worthy and in that moment, he called them to more. And Zacchaeus's response was, if there's anybody that I've wronged, I give back all of my, I'll repay them many times over. Because in that moment, he's like, yes, there are things that I've done right. I want to make restitution. I want to change that. He changed his whole, whole identity. He was like, yes, I've lived like that. I no longer, I no longer want to be that anymore. I, I think that people intuitively pick up our attitude towards them. They know whether we're really for them or against them. People are good judges of that, aren't they? It's like, do I really think that you're for me? Do we truly believe that they have immense worth and value to the Lord? I've come to believe that many Christians put other people off because we don't share God's heart for them. Why? 
Because if we have a gospel of mad, mud management, sorry, we focus only on the mud. A gospel of restoration sees past all of this. Going back to the to our analogy of the Rembrandt, when a master fine art restorers come to a work of art which requires restoring, they don't just get out a cloth and kind of start dabbing it on the painting. Yeah, some of you artists like, no, they don't do that at all. They painstakingly take their time. They wear special spectacles. They that show them the intricate detail of the painting. They remove very slowly one piece of dirt after another with the right processes so as to not uh, destroy the original underneath. Then they replace and renew the original colours, the definition that makes the um, painting stand out. And it takes time, specific spectacles, devotion, patience, immense care. And if we picture God's goal for our lives as mud management, we will quickly judge and push away people that don't fit into the mould. But that wasn't Jesus's approach. God fully intends your life to have the same influence on the world around it as Jesus did. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in our advance for us to do. I believe that when we truly understand the overwhelming grace that has been shown to us, it changes everything. It changes the way that we look at everything. Our hearts, our attitudes, our relationships, our communities, our city are changed when we begin to see with the eyes of Jesus. In the vineyard, we have the phrase, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. What it means is, do you know what? Anybody is welcome to come along, no matter what they believe, who they are. And someone invites them and they hopefully sense something of presence of God in our gatherings. It's like God is here. We want them to taste and see that the Lord is good. But we also want them, as we do for ourselves, to be restored to the fullness of who God created them to be. Rosaria Butterfield says that radical ordinary hospitality is about turning strangers into neighbours and neighbours into family. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the final few weeks. So in finishing, we're in a series about living open lives, an open life, live like Jesus. And we need to shift our mindset. Is there anything in your mindset that has become closed in, that has become, you know, the picture of a welcome life is like this. And you're like, actually, I'm like this. I've closed off. We've got to see people as Jesus sees them. We've got to see, are we looking at the masterpiece or are we looking at the mud? And then we've got to grow in this. So I want to finish with this. I would love it this week. We all have numerous interactions in any week. But as you go into situations that you just ask Jesus this question, Jesus, how do you see this person? So that it's not just our instinctive reaction, that actually that's our prayer. Jesus, how do you see this person, this situation? And then secondly, so how do you see this person in the situation? Secondly, is there anything that you want me to say to them? Can you imagine how much that will begins to change? Because we're not just looking through our mindset, our busy agenda. It's like we go into a situation, see a housemate, see a spouse, see part of our family, fill in the blank. The people that we jump, bump into in life. It's like, Jesus, how do you see the person? What is the gold that you're asking me to draw out in this person? I think it changes the way and that's what it means to live an open life.
certainly pray just in finishing Jesus we want to see with your eyes we want to look more like you we want to love more like you we want to live more like you open our eyes to see where you're moving and what you're doing in Jesus name amen